0: What's up LasserCast fans, anchor Pete here, and it is time for my Lovecraft Country review. Tonight I'll be talking about episodes seven and eight of Lovecraft Country, which you can go watch right now on HBO Max. So uh, if you haven't seen episodes seven and eight of this show, go watch it now. All right, guys, I'm doing this live because Danny and I have so many videos in the works, and just sometimes it's hard to sit down and edit and put together something, especially when we're taking apart a TV series That is from a year ago, and there's 10 episodes, right? We got a lot of stuff coming in April. We have a bunch of Shutter things we're going to review. We're also going to start reviewing that show, Them, when it premieres on Amazon. So there's just a lot of stuff that we want to finish and wrap up for Lovecraft Month. And so tonight, I'm just going to talk to you about these two episodes. Even though I'm doing a live episode and it's not edited, I really want to take the time to talk about this show because I really do appreciate it. I feel kind of bad that I missed out on it when it first came out because this show, it's appealing to be on multiple levels. Um, I always love shows that are on HBO. I love the quality of HBO shows. They always seem to use uh, a similar pool of actors and um, they also have like the same kind of opening credits and it seems like there's similar directors that are used on these different shows. And with HBO, you can have a a wide range of shows going from, let's say, Game of Thrones to The Wire, right? And I think that Lovecraft Country is interesting because, in a way, it sort of is like in a middle ground between those two shows, right? The Wire is this, like, brilliant piece of TV work that shows, like, extremely detailed, uh, realistic version of baltimore maryland right and then game of thrones is set in this brutal fantasy world where like there's real despicable people and horrible things happen to innocent people and lovecraft country even though it's based on a book that's not connected to those other two shows i feel like lovecraft country is like right in this middle spot between those two so let's talk about lovecraft country uh episode seven um so I just did this comparison, right? And I said, what is, uh, like, what Lovecraft Country is, right? But the thing is that Danny has said this before. I think Chris said this before, too. But Lovecraft Country almost feels like a different show every episode. The the book, as Danny has said before, written by Matt Ruff, is um, a collection of short stories that are all kind of tied together. And... um they they are all different, like, featuring different characters, and so it almost feels like an anthology. This show kind of feels like an anthology. Even though there's the main cast of characters with Atticus and uh, Letty, by the way. I'm going to call her the right name this time. Last time I did this live episode, I, did, I called her Lita for the whole episode. But Atticus and Letty, Tick and Letty, and then you have Hippolyta and D and, you know, Diana. And you had Uncle George to begin with, and of course you have Atticus's father as well, uh, Montrose. All these characters, even though they're in almost every episode, each episode seems to focus on a specific character. So for episode seven, I Am, we focus on uh, Hippolyta, who is played by um, Angenue Ellis. And she, since I saw her in the first episode, she just stands out. there's something about her character that just really makes her stand out to me. And I think that it is our sort of, our ingrained perceptions of, you know, just that we have um, just, you know, me being a white man, right? And and this is an African-American woman. And, um, you know, I'm assuming that she's in her like late forties or so. Um, and our culture we're so used to having movies and TV shows where they depict African-American women in a certain light. And you almost never in mainstream movies have, or, or TV, have a main character that is an African-American woman that's in her 40s that is like, you know, the kind of job that she has. I mean, she doesn't really have a job in the sense of like working a nine to five. Um, she, she's doing the travel guide now that uh, George has died but um, she just seems so unique. And of course that is just based on our stupid culture that we have, right? That we just, we don't have characters like this in our lexicon. Even though this could be a very commonly found person, our, our movies and our shows don't represent, don't show this type of person normally, right? So whenever I see her, she's a lot more interesting to me than other characters on the show because I feel like we don't see this type of character that often. And episode seven is her chance to shine. Basically, uh, she has caught on that something strange happened on the road trip with uh, Tick and Letty and George. And um, she drives to the ruins of the uh, Braithwaite Lodge, right? She, She Goes to find out what happened to her husband and she discovers a or I'm, I'm gonna mess this word up badly. orrery Oof, I, I got it out there, luckily. But yeah, I didn't know what an orary see, look at it. Orrery. <laughs> it. was until I watched this show. And it's essentially, you know, a, a 3D model of the solar system. And she takes it home with her and she's trying to figure out what, what is the significance behind this. How does this work? There's something about this. And she eventually figures out by looking at it on its side or she's on her side and she's looking at it that she has to tilt a piece of it. And once she does that, she's able to unlock it and there's a key inside and it basically ends up leading her to this observatory. And it gives her, uh, it, it gives her coordinates that lead her to this observatory in Kansas. She travels there and um, when she's at the observatory she's able to turn on this device that essentially opens up like a portal in time and space. and uh, Atticus, he does a little bit of investigating on the side on a different kind of plot but he comes to that observatory and he finds her and there's, right when there's two cops that are there right? And there's um the, the one cop, I, I gotta write his name down, this is a little tough when you do it live but there's so many different names in the show and uh, there's so many different character threads but there's that one asshole cop this, this one uh, white cop that he's Oh, I hate him so much. Let's see. Uh, whatever. He he's this cop that I'm you know, you know who I'm talking about if you watch the show. He's the cop that is um he knows about the lodge and he he knows magic, right? And he plays a bigger role in episode eight, which we're gonna talk about. The cop has had these two people staking, these two cops staking out the observatory. They go to, f- you know, stop Hippolyta when she goes to on the device. Um one of the cops actually falls through the portal that she opened up and then um, Atticus shoots the other cop, right? And he's just laying there bloody. Now, unfortunately, uh, as that cop dies on the floor, the uh, page from the guide that her husband used to work on, there's a page of it and it's stuck with the cops that kind of incriminates her. Right. Anyway, Hippolyta gets sucked into that portal too. And what follows is one of the most imaginative sequences I've ever seen on that HBO show, right? She, she lands on a distant planet, and we see this big spaceship. And it's not, it's not smooth and, and, like, you know, it's not a flying saucer. It, it's sort of organic looking. You know, if there was a sort of Lovecraft aesthetic to ships, I, I think that this might fit it. And these two giant beings walk towards you and they look kind of armored. They, have, they look sort of like, you know, kind of like Iron Man, this big armor, but they're gigantic, right? And we later see on board the ship what one of these beings looks like with their helmet off. And um, it's like a, a giant African-American woman wearing this armor. And she's some sort of alien creature. And she, um, I'm sorry, I know I say and a lot. That's what happens when I'm live talking about myself but you're still watching, so you're awesome. Serafina is that uh, gigantic you know, uh, black space woman. She kind of reminds me of, um, I'm gonna go into comics because that's what I bring to the table, comics. She reminds me of uh, this one image of Riri Williams, who is this African-American girl that took over for Iron Man when Tony Stark was MIA for a little while in the comics. And there was this promotional shot that showed her and a bunch of new characters, her armor is very similar to the armor in this episode that the alien was wearing. And she has this big afro, too. Uh, Riri has a big afro, and this alien has a big afro. So I'm thinking that maybe they might have been influenced by that image. Who knows? Who knows? Speaking of that image in general, it, it, I'm kind of curious, right? Because I know that Lovecraft didn't just exclusively write stories with like horrible – Elder gods and creatures from you know outer you know darkened outer space, cosmic horror. I know that he wrote stuff be- besides that. I know that at least one of his stories is kind of like an adventure fantasy kind of tale. And I wonder what part of Lovecraft's you know magnum opus or Lovecraft's like uh, mythology this particular episode is drawing from. Like, is there a particular Lovecraft story that this imagery is drawing from? If you know what it is, can you please tell me in the comments, I would love to know. Besides that, um, Hippolyta is asked by the alien, Serafina. Well, she's not asked, she's actually told, um, you are not in a prison, where do you wanna be? And she's told to name herself. And so Hippolyta kind of can't believe that she's being asked, where do you want to be? And just almost like sarcastically says that she wants to be dancing on a stage with uh, Josephine. Wow, I wrote down her name. And uh, I think I wrote—I think it's Baker, but I can't even read my own penmanship, but I think it's Josephine Baker, but it's a famous historical uh, like dancer. And so she just all of a sudden ends up in France and she's just dancing on stage with a bunch of women that are scantily clad and they look like, you know, what you'd picture from like uh, the Moulin Rouge, right? And at one point it even leads to a montage where the Moulin Rouge song is playing to, you know, they get you, get you. I'm not gonna sing it, I'm gonna save you guys that. Um, But anyway, she's dancing and she all of a sudden has been transported to this area and it's great because you see Hippolyta live in this moment that she wants to be in. She feels free, she feels liberated. She's with all these women, these creative types and she's just kind of smoking and she's cut her hair a different way. And she's just like living it up and she feels alive. She has this conversation with Josephine Baker and she admits that, you know, there's this one fantastic line that she says. uh, Oh, well, she says it to her husband, George, later, spoilers. But um, what she says to Josephine Baker is this excellent line, too. She's talking about white people and the way that she acted. She felt like that was the way that white people expected her to act. And she says this line of, it feels like a smart way to lynch me without noticing a noose, and I just thought that was a, a brilliant line. Um, there is no way that I could, as a white, you know, uh, man, right? Uh, it'd be like I can relate to that sentiment, but I, I will say that one thing I can relate to is the idea of feeling like you have to be a certain way. and. Her thing is on a racial level, which I'll never be able to connect or understand because I have such a privileged background, right? But um, just that idea of that you have to be a certain way for people and you change who you are, that is a big part of this episode, right? And that's a big part of this show in general, too. One of the things that's so awesome about this show is that it takes the idea of, this is, this is your box that you fit in. This is your life that you're stuck in because of the color of your skin. This is the circumstances that you were given. This is what your life is like. And it's pretty miserable, right? For African-Americans living in the 1950s, right? And then all of a sudden, here's the fantasy aspect. There is magic and it can take you outside of that box. And that's what happens to Hippolyta on this journey. It almost happens to every single character. It happens to Atticus in the first episode, happens to Hippolyta in this episode, it happened to Ruby in uh two episodes back that Danny covered, um, where she's able to drink that potion and become a white woman, right? And we see all these different characters and we get to hear them say what it's like to essentially be white, even though they're they're these African-American characters, right? And each time, they have observation about it. It's just it, some of the best writing on the show, right? They talk about the, the, how different it feels and, and how it makes them feel about their life before they had the magic, right? And so this show, it, it's just, it's crazy because it has this like super disturbing imagery, like so, some of the most disturbing stuff I've seen on HBO, I've seen on this show, right? And yet it has this like really strong racial allegory And I'm just really glad that Danny and I decided to watch this for this month. So anyway, I want to tell you about this other quote that I thought was fantastic too. After Hippolyta um, realizes that she got everything she needed out of that experience dancing in France, she goes to this other uh, world, she's teleported to this other time, this other world where she's like a warrior woman and she leads a whole race of warrior women because she has so much anger in her from what her life has been like thus far after that sequence which was cool to look at um she then says that she is hippolyta She is george's wife and she's transported essentially back to the first time we see her on the show where she's with her husband george before he goes off on his journey right when she's there she has a discussion with him and she says this line when i was a kid i thought i was big enough to have every right to name something out of this world. And then there's a beat and she says, and then I just started shrinking myself. And uh, wow, I actually just got emotional just saying that line because that's the way that we are, right? As a kid, we have this perception of the world. We feel like we can do anything. And then the world kicks in, right? And the story they're trying to tell in Lovecraft Country, it's that like, you're gonna have this miserable life in this kind of setting as an African-American, right? And um, she shrunk, she was so big. And, and that's what I love about Hippolyta, right? Because Hippolyta is so incredibly smart. She, she, at one point, like figures out how to manipulate these panels that are on the alien ship that she's on. Oh, okay, oh, cool, we got a comment. All right, uh, la- Laundry Day, okay, Laundry Day, thank you for watching. Uh, she was Hippolyta, the Amazon Queen, mother of Diana, aka Wonder Woman. Absolutely, yes, yes, that is true. D, her name is Diana Hippolyta, Wonder Woman. Very good catch there, Laundry Day. Um, and so, just that's the way this show is, right? Is that it has this allegory, and so Hippolyta says that she wants to go back to her regular life because she has to take care of Diana, right? D, like you just mentioned, Laundry Day. Um, and then that's that's pretty much it for the episode besides that in this episode we also learned that Letty is pregnant and so we know who the father of the child is right anyway I'm gonna go kind of quick through episode uh, eight because we already are 17 minutes into this but episode 8 is called Jigaboo and it probably has the scariest imagery in the entire show so far I I haven't watched the show yet Danny's watched the whole show I've not watched it all the way through yet but the imagery in this episode is probably the scariest stuff. You, you guys probably remember it from like the commercials or if you've seen it, but there's these two twins that we see throughout this episode. Um, and they are, I gotta look up their names because they're in the credits. They're listed as, um, yeah, you know, ah, Topsy and Bopsy. That's their names, Topsy and Bopsy. And they are these sort of like, caricatures that you would imagine from some sort of like racist cartoon about African-American children from back in the day, right? And when they play, when they come out, there's this song that's playing about like knocking on a door and like letting someone in. it's just, the way that the music plays is real creepy and the way that they move is real creepy too. And yeah, that's the kind of stuff where, I mean, I'm I'm in my garage right now taping this and I'm just kind of looking over my shoulder now, just getting kind of chills from that episode. The reason why there are ghouls like Topsy and Bopsy is because this episode focuses on D Diana, um, who the uh, cop that knows about magic, he finds her and he puts a spell on her. It's real disgusting. He actually like hocks up a loogie and like rubs it on her head and he makes it so that she can't tell anyone about his discussion with her. And he wants to know, where's your mom? Because he found the travel guide page on the dead cop in the observatory. So – because he's done this, uh, she can't tell anyone what's going on with her. And she, as a character in the series, has kind of been like outside. You know, she's not one of the main characters. She's just sort of like a periphery character. And in this episode, it's made very literal where it's like she can't really interact with the other characters. Everyone else is like, I have to go do this. I have to go do this. And they're kind of just brushing her aside, right? And she has to deal with these two ghouls just chasing her around. Besides that, Her friend Bobo that she's referenced is actually this true historical uh, figure. It's, um, you know, I want to make sure that I say his name right and get this right. It's um, Emmett Till, who was an African-American boy that was lynched in uh, 1955. And he was lynched in 1955 because he uh, apparently offended a white woman's family. Right. That's the way the episode starts out. It's with his funeral and everyone. Oh. Let's see. Got another comment from Laundry Day. I'm glad you're with me, Laundry Day. They were the scariest characters of the whole season for me. I believe Topsy and Bopsy are from Uncle Tom's Cabin. Thank you, Laundry Day. Uh, yes, they – apparently from the notes I read, like they're inspired by characters that are on the cover of Uncle Tom's Cabin. Uh, so anyway, Emmett Till, I, am, I, I did not do the research that he deserved, but the way that they described – the boy or at least one of the boys in this town dying was that they were beaten shot and then wrapped up with barbed wire attached to a uh like a propeller and then drowned in the ocean in the harbor right and that's just gruesome and horrible in itself right we see a little bit more into ruby and christina's relationship because christina has showed that she is um She was pretending to be, uh, I believe, William, right? The blonde white guy. And, you know, they know each other now. And at at one point, Ruby takes the potion and she becomes the white woman again as she's having sex with William. And she said that the reason why she did that was because she didn't want to be a black woman having sex with a white man on this day of this, this funeral for this boy, right? She says the details of his death, which I just told you, and she asks Christina, how do you feel about that? Do you have any kind of, does that make you feel anything? And Christina admits that she doesn't. Because Christina is part of this, the, the, the actual like Lovecraft aspect of the show, right? She's part of this, this greater magical mythology. She, she's not affected by the racial aspect of the show, like all the main characters are. And so um, she admits that she, yeah, she doesn't care about Emmett Till. This leads to a scene where she pays these men to beat her and, and to kill her the way that Ruby described being killed. She does like get hurt and she's tied up with barbed wire and she's drowning in the water, but because of her magic, she's able to come out. So as you can see, like it doesn't affect this white woman. Right. Um, and you know that's this allegory just right in your face, right there. That horrible stuff can happen to the white woman, but she's able to kind of bounce back because she has this power, right? Um, besides that, we get to see uh, Yi um, Gia, right? She comes all the way from South Korea to confront Atticus, and that makes Lenny find out what happened between Gia and Atticus. Gia actually explains what she is to Atticus. And she also tells him, hey, you're gonna die. And you're gonna die soon. You're gonna die uh, with this ritual that Christina is gonna perform. Uh, the autumnal, I can't say this shit when it's like, autumnal equinox, right? That's like a time that happens. There's gonna be a ritual, Atticus is gonna die. And so um, Letty wants to get Atticus to be um, invulnerable so that he can't die. And Letty knows that Atticus is the father. Atticus happens to know a little bit about this baby too. I'm gonna to look at your comment in one second, Laundry, I just wanna get this one point. Because when he went through the portal in the previous episode, he went to the future and he found a book called Lovecraft Country, which was written by his son. And it's interesting because he says to his father when he's explaining the book, he says that the book is very similar to what's happened to them, except that Christina's a man and Uncle George lives in the book, not in the show, right? And I think that like his comparisons he's making are like the differences between the HBO show and the book Lovecraft Country, right? So I thought that was like a cool little nod. Uh, Now I'm gonna say what you put here, Laundry Day, let's see. His mother had an open casket to show what happened to him. Interesting fact about Emmett is that white women, that the white woman that accused him of whistling at her said she lied at age 83. It's despicable, right? like, our history. Yeah, it's horrible. Um, thank you for sharing that. I, I appreciate you bringing that historical context to this. Uh, and, Laundry Day, if, if you haven't followed our channel or subscribed, like, please join us, because I love having people like you on here leaving comments and, and teaching us stuff, too. So, thank you. Um, so, let's just get to the end of this episode, right? So, D Diana, is able to confront the two ghouls. She actually, like, starts beating one with a pipe. And besides that, she started to draw her comics the way that she draws uh, comics in general. And that was her way of showing people what was going on with her, right? She draws these ghouls into her comic. She beats one up and the episode ends with her bloodied and it looks like one of the ghouls starts scratching her arm. So I don't know what's gonna happen to Dee up until next episode. But besides that, uh, that, that messed up cop and his men come to Letty's house and they go to confront her. They can't come in because their house is magically protected. But the cops start shooting inside. Now Letty is able to, you know, bounce the bullets off her because she has a magical shield. Essentially, she's invulnerable. Uh, she made a deal with Christina. I should probably mention that she made a deal with Christina uh, where she gave some copies of the pages from the Book of Names to her, and then Christina put the mark of Cain on her, which made Letty invulnerable. So Atticus shows up, he's trying to go save Letty, one of the cops turns to shoot him and she goes to run as if she's going to block the bullet, but before that happens, a Shogoth pops up right up in the suburbs and blocks the bullets and just starts ripping the cops to shreds, right? And starts chewing on some racist asshole cops, and it's pretty cool. Um, and that's where the episode ends. That They feel like Atticus was the one that was able to like summon this creature and that Letty because of the spell is invulnerable so things are looking up for our characters at least where they're able to protect themselves but there's still dark things coming right so danny is going to do the last two episodes of lovecraft country if you guys have been watching this with us we appreciate you thank you so much like i said uh lovecraft month is almost done danny and i just did a review of the book the hungry moon by ramsey campbell and that should be up on our channel on this channel. Uh, probably within about two days. So today is Tuesday, so probably by like Thursday, we'll get you that Hungry Moon review, okay? But thank you so much for being with us for Lovecraft Month, and uh, we will see you guys real soon.